Sarah, do now, this. Is, now is when we do our welcomes and our hellos. So welcome, Sarah. And hello, Laura. <laughs> we are Bible Bitches. And this is the podcast where we talk about the Bible. And I feel like it's the Bible at the intersection of feminism, a couple of cocktails, maybe some drunken history, you know, mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. a couple of laughs. <laughs> That's spelled L-A-F-F-S, not L-A-U-G-H. Right. Not, you know. We don't spell we don't spell it like the chumps do. <laughs> we spell it like the cartoonists. <laughs> yeah. And you know, there's Laura, there's me, Sarah. Laura is a Baptist minister. I'm agnostic. We met in divinity school. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Don't worry about it. Yeah, don't worry about it. So, but I'm, I'm going to ask you a question, Sarah. Have you ever been totally screwed over by another woman? I mean, I did go to high school, so yes. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I did that to other women throughout mm-hmm. my history. Didn't know, mm-hmm. maybe did know sometimes. I'm not perfect. Sure. Also, I'm kind of an idiot. What about you? Uh, same. Um, there's one that sticks out for me, and it was a high school math teacher who was, obs- I went to a private Christian school, just like you, Sarah, and she was obsessed with measuring skirt length, and it was she would pull us up in front of class. She was constantly measuring on chapel days, um, and I felt like she was kind of, like, in retrospect, I didn't know what that meant at the time, but eating the patriarchy. We're talking millimeters here, and she'd be like, you're a millimeter short. You're you're more than a dollar bill, bill's width. You need to go, you know, you need to get a detention, or you need to switch your, you know, skirts, or whatever, and that, that kind of using your power to kind of aid the patriarchy was kind of gross, and so that stands out for me, but it is really nothing in comparison to our story today about Sarah and Hagar, which is definitely about both the patriarchy and one woman screwing over another woman. For sure. I just started watching Handmaid's Tale, which I'm way behind on, and it's fucking amazing. And of course, Sarah and Hagar, Handmaid's Tale, or at least the first season and the book, there are a lot of easy correlations to make with this story about how women treat each other. In fact, I am pretty sure that Atwood based that story on another Handmaid's Tale in the Bible, which is Rachel and Bilhah. Bilhah? Bilhah? Bilhah. Bilhah. Yeah, that's close. Close or on the money, Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, and I have read Handmaid's Tale but not seen the show because I'm, I'm secretly kind of terrified to watch it because Trump's America. Like, I felt like it would be super triggering, like, to be honest. You literally haven't seen, you haven't seen any of it? I've read the book, but I haven't seen the It's show. so good. It's so good. You think, can I, like, can I yes. watch it and not get depressed? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. So this is a hearty ringing endorsement. Okay. Um, and like, I really, like, yes, you need to. Is there hope and resistance in this? There is hope. There is resistance. Okay, There's good. more hope than in the book. And oh, okay. the way that they diverge from the book, I think, is really spot on. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but I okay. really like the way that they've um, veered away from it. Okay. That's good to know. I might, actually, I might actually give that a watch then. All right. You should. So back to the story. We're talking about Sarah and Hagar, but in order to talk about Sarah and Hagar, we also have to talk about... Abraham. Okay, so Abraham is considered the father of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, and he's kind of a big deal. 
short version is Abraham feels God calling him away from his home um, to find a new land. And at this point, Sarah is his wife. Not me personally, but Sarah in the Bible. Who was <laughs> Sarah actually, with an H. Sarah with an H. Who was Sarai before. And Sarai. then Abram, Abraham was Abram before. It's kind of like reading a Dostoevsky novel. So Abraham and Sarah are kind of like wandering around looking for a place where God wants them to settle. And like, they're just kind of like wandering around what the 12 tribes, I think the 12, 12 tribes of Judah. That hasn't happened yet. I don't think. Okay. Um, so they think that he was probably around like the land of Samaria, which would have been polytheistic. And he's kind of like trying to figure out like, well, who am I? What okay. is life? Um, he's maybe more monotheistic. And so he's searching around trying to figure out where he wants to go. So he's wandering around. Okay. And, um, and along the way, he does some pretty crap stuff. Yeah. One of the, one of the many things, but a big one is that he keeps passing off his wife, Sarah, as his sister to gain favor. And obviously in the modern reading, this is so shitty because it's just stating that women are property, wives are property, and whoring them out is fine. But the, but like there's a weird nuance there because they actually are half-siblings, so it wasn't a complete lie, but it was still a pretty big statement. And also like there's a piece of this that gets reinterpreted, I think, in a really problematic way in the modern church is that Abraham does this or explains this to Sarah as a way to protect them both from her from being raped and taken or like kidnapped and himself from being killed. And so that's actually had this effect of like the modern church interpreting this idea that the husband needs to protect the wife. And like in that it creates a dichotomy where the husband, I mean, and this is happening throughout the Bible. It's not just this one story, but each story is like death by a thousand cuts kind of deal. Like Mm -hmm. all of these stories are, reinforcing this idea that the man is the head and the woman needs to submit and that the husband is the head because he can't protect her. Absolutely. And so I think, you know, on the one hand, you have this whole like protection slash whoring out dynamic. And then on the other, you've got Sarah, who's existing in a time when women's worth is measured by their fertility. For her, she thinks I've got to be churning out children, preferably boys to carry on the line and help in the fields. And the first time we actually meet Sarah in Genesis 16, 1, all that we know about her is that she is barren. So Sarah, can you imagine that that's the first thing that someone knows about you? So what if I was like, hey, Sarah, uh, my name's Lara and I'm barren. (laughs) I don't know. I feel like, I mean, like I get it, but I also feel like that's a really good tactic if you want to be left alone in a bar. (laughs) Somebody, it's not like I don't send out come talk to me vibes in a bar, but if that ever happens, I'm definitely just going to be like, I'm barren, and then just take a big swig of a drink. Um, Sarah, I need you to do that for research purposes and report back. (laughs) Done. So anyways, once Sarah and Abraham find where they'll settle, she's deeply worried about not producing a son and letting her husband and family down. Now, mind you, like at this point, they're very old. They're like well into what, like their seventies, eighties now. Yeah. I mean, I think she's, she's maybe like in her nineties. Like it is. Yeah. She's up there. She's up there. So she has this idea to have Abraham sleep with their handmaid Hagar. And again, like in handmaid's tale, Hagar doesn't get to consent and she is taken essentially, you know, and eventually is gets pregnant and gives birth to Ishmael. 
So even though Sarah condones this, she becomes resentful of Hagar and her son Ishmael, especially after Sarah gets pregnant on her own when she's like crazy old. She gets pregnant in her 90s, which holy shit, you guys, hard pass. Ugh. Awful. Whoa, awful. Um, she really leaned in, though. You know, she really was trying to have it all. Um, so Sarah, Sarah eventually gives birth to Isaac. And then she's like, now that I have Isaac, Ishmael and Hagar need to go. And this is so horrific for Hagar. Um, she's had to be a servant. Then she's had to sleep with Abraham at the behest of Sarah, which is, she's, she, I mean, she was raped. Yeah. Um, and Sarah, you know, Sarah was the accomplice, uh, kind of the mastermind of this. And then Hagar has to experience both of them turn on her after Sarah has the child. So Hagar's body is treated as a commodity and, is ex- and then she's expelled. And if you're an American, and this is starting to sound a little familiar, yes, this has definite overtones of slavery. This is, you know, very much um, African-American bodies were treated this way during slavery. And um, this is a story that womanist theologians, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, um, has used to talk about the kind of really fucked up dynamic between white women in the South um, and uh, black women, because white women were very much, in a lot of ways, complicit um, while white women are still subject to the patriarchy, um, a lot of times in order to maintain their power, they were accomplices to the slavery and very much overlooked or were um, accomplices to black women's bodies getting used. And this is, I think, brought up yet again during Jim Crow and um, kind of the early waves of feminism as white women were willing to sacrifice the interests of black women. So we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but if this is starting to sound familiar, I think this definitely has echoes of things that happened later on in American history as well. It's super fucked up. Like it's not, this is not a joke. This is very fucked up. This story, if we're going to take it seriously, if we're going to take it in any kind of like literal or metaphorical way, it is, it's very problematic. And what ends up happening is that, because of Sarah's jealousy, she and Abraham force Hagar out into the wilderness with Ishmael. So like all this while, Hagar is being like pushed out of her safe space. And all the, I mean like, and it's not even a space, safe space. Like she's been raped and subjugated for so long and she's still forced out because some other woman felt threatened by her. And all this time she's thinking that she's going to have to watch her baby die. So they're out wandering around and God hears Ishmael crying in Genesis chapter 21 and says, what's the matter, Hagar? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying from the bushes. Come on, help the boy up. Take him by the hand because I'm going to make him into a great nation. So God shows her a well from which they're able to drink and they survive. And the Bible states in Genesis 21, 20 to 21. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became a skilled archer. He lived in the desert of Paran, and his mother got him a wife in Egypt. What do you, what, how do you feel about this? Oh, oh, okay. All right. Okay. So, like, it's great that God saved Hagar and Ishmael, but it appears here that God only, in the text, that God only cared about Ishmael and not Hagar. 
right? The text says God heard the boy crying and God makes Hagar a promise about Ishmael being the father of a great nation. And it states God was with the boy as he grew up. So we don't get to know a whole lot more about Hagar, this woman whose body was used as a commodity and then outcast. Uh, and, and we don't really get to see that God cared about her at all. Yeah. I mean, is she the first voiceless woman? That is a great question. And I, I think that's one we need to grapple with is what, what is, what is her voice here? Like, yeah. does she have one? And, and what does that say? What does that, yeah. and, and what does it say that her story echoes into modern day? It's tough. It's tough to grapple with this. Grapple with it, Sarah. I'm going to grapple with it and just move on. Just going <laughs> to yeah. slide, slide swipe it. So, um, so back to the story. Okay, first of all, I want to do a recap here. So what's happened is that there is this couple, Abraham and Sarah. They're half brother and sister because that's just like how they did in... Super Game of Thronesy. Super Game of Thronesy. <laughs> and um, they've been wandering around. They're super old. Sarah is... Barren. Yeah, Sarah's barren. She's not doing well by her family because she can't produce a child. She has Abraham have sex with Hagar, her handmaid. She has a child named Ishmael. Then Sarah gets pregnant, has her own child, and pushes Ishmael out of their encampment. And now Hagar is like wandering the desert. God is like, hey, I gotcha, but really just for your child because he's a boy and you get to just be kind of like the keeper of the child. And and can I just list the issues, like some of the issues that are with that is that, okay, so you've got Sarah being defined by her fertility. We've got the concept of Hagar, who is in a handmade sort of slave situation where she's both beholden to Abraham and Sarah. Um, so Sarah is kind of in this patriarchal ideal of she, she her worth is only, um, she's kind of been whored out by Abraham and also her worth is via her fertility. And then you've got Hagar, whose worth is even below that as a slave, that she doesn't get the rights of wife. So she's beholden to both of them and is cast out. So you've got both this kind of woman on woman crime and then in, <laughs> and then also the, the kind of the patriarchal problems. And then you've got on top of that, the issues with God listening to her son. And I say her, I mean, Hagar's son, Ishmael, like that's the cry that's important and not actually Hagar's. So you asked the important question, is she the first voiceless woman? Yeah. And in my opinion, God's not like super cool in this story. God is like, I'm just really interested in your boy. Um, You get to just kind of like make sure that the boy doesn't die. I'll help you with at least that point. So anyways, much of our research will be pulled from Renita Weems. She's a womanist biblical scholar who wrote Just a Sister Away. She notes that we that while we can't put the full weight of race relations in the 20th century, America, I mean, contextual lens and all that, on Sarah and Hagar, but there are a lot of striking similarities. And Renita Weems states that we can't deny the sorrow of Hagar in the story or ignore the lessons of this kind of pain and say, maybe it will just take our children weeping on our behalf, our children weeping for the sins and prejudices and stubbornness of we, their mothers and fathers, to convince God to intervene on our behalf. It's in page 19, just a sister away. It is very much a very important work to womanist biblical um, scholarship. Mm -hmm. So if you are really interested, 
she recounts a lot of different stories of subjugated narratives of women in the Bible and how to interpret that through an African-American lens, a womanist lens. And it's amazing. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, Yeah. And I think her words are really poignant there that it sucks. And basically like the, the next generation has to kind of cry out on the behalf of the, the crap of the story to get God to intervene. She's just owning that it's, it's a, it's a sadness. And it also reflects a lot of the narratives of African-American women during slavery and Jim Crow, that black women's bodies were really used as a commodity and crying over that, really like mourning it and acknowledging it. And I think there's a power in owning that story. I think the story is written very much from a male perspective at the time when uh, bearing children was the most important thing about women. And the patriarchy really divided Sarah and Hagar. And there was kind of a power differential there um, between Sarah as wife and Hagar as handmaid. Sarah could have been in solidarity with Hagar, but chose to turn against her and use her power. And I think as at me as a white woman reading this in the 21st century America, a country that has undergone slavery and Jim Crow, and knowing the sins of white privilege against people of color, especially black women, this story can teach us white women to value the importance of listening to the stories of black women, not denying their story of sorrow uh, and pain, as well as their empowerment, and um, cheering them on in solidarity and really listening to and lifting up the stories that are similar to those of Hagar and those that are different and empowering. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is a, a, you know, a thing that's going on right now in, in America, as terrible as, as things are um, in terms of, you know, Trump's America and blah, 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 just all the terrible things that are happening. There is a whole lot more, a de- because of social media, a lot more of a democratization of narrative. And so we're getting to hear a lot more stories of people of color and and black women and white white women need to lift that up. We need to just be cheering that on. Yeah. And I think that that's a really important and huge critique of white feminism. In order for feminism to be truly egalitarian, we need to lift up the concerns of black and brown women and fight for this instead of just focusing on the concerns of white women. Like it's just, it's got to be more than the wage gap. It's got to be more than the you know, Ryan Gosling feminist means it's got to be more than these things. Like there are so many elements, so elements that I don't even know. Right. Which is why we just got to continually be educated. And that's why, that's why I love that we live in an age where there is so much access to information. So, you know, we can educate ourselves. And to me, unless that Ryan Gosling meme says, Hey girl, white feminism isn't cutting it. (laughs) Then, you know, like, like we, we really gotta like do our research. Um, and as a Christian minister, I believe Jesus meant to be egalitarian, um, but we have moved Christianity far from this in the United States, especially among white evangelicals. Um, we aren't really uh, walking the talk of listening to the pain and concerns of all people or rooting for their empowerment and working for it actively. Um, I want to give Margaret Atwood an, a word here, um, as this story is one of the narratives and inspiration for The Handmaid's Tale. I'm going to read a quote that was taken from an article on Sojourners, which is a progressive Christian magazine. Uh, Margaret Atwood says, early Christianity was egalitarian, and it was also very courageous because it underwent various persecutions. Of course, faith can be a force for good and often has been, particularly when people are feeling beleaguered and in need of hope. So you can have bad iterations, and you can also have the iteration in which people have got too much power and then start abusing it. 
but that is human behavior. So you can't lay it down to religion. You can find the same in any power situation, such as politics or ideologies that purport to be atheist. So it is not a question of religion making people behave badly. It is a question of human beings getting power and then wanting more of it. Mm, that's powerful. And it's true. Like, I mean, jokes aside, it really is about power. Like, even your story about the skirt length, that's like such a bullshit wielding of power. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And the yeah. misuse and abuse of power is the root of so many of these issues in sexism and racism and homophobia and other isms or phobias that I like, I can't even think of right now. No matter what religion, no matter if there's no religion, I think we should agree that this is an issue. Like, Absolutely. It needs like, yeah. Mm. I have seen, and I've seen this a lot of times in my work, a self-enforced hierarchy in the workplace or even socially indulging this desire for power is easy for people. It's, it's, and it's, it's not just easy. It's like reflexive. It's, it's almost intoxicating. And if you don't have it and get a bit of it, you want to flex it more and more. I were recording this the same week as uh, Michelle Wolf's uh, White House Correspondents Dinner. Oh my God. Uh, which was uh, like, you know what? Come at me. Like, come at us. Like, she did an amazing job because she called yeah. truth to power. And I, you know, her statement, what's what's Uncle Tom but for white women? Like, that's yeah. very, that. like, I think that was spot on. And I just, Sarah, like, I, I have a problem whenever women throw other women under the bus. Mm-hmm. Like, that is not okay. Like, we need to be lifting each other up. And that is just, it sticks in my craw, Sarah. It sticks in my crawl. Just crabs in a bucket. <laughs> crabs in a bucket. All just trying to climb on top of each other. Oh. And like, we can subvert this if we choose to, but so often we don't. And so, you know, I, I think we need to actively work against kind of leaning into that and, 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 you know, just kind of wielding our own power. And I think, you know, if you're a white woman, it's kind of hard because there are some things you're kind of blind to that you're, you might, you might be playing into the systems of racism and oppression and don't even know it, but there's always the opportunity to kind of work against it, right? To learn and try and try to kind of subvert that and be in solidarity with other women. And here's the thing is that um, Christianity as the major religion in the United States needs some serious reforms to detangle itself from the oppression of others um, and tackle social issues that are hurting people. As, you know, it, not only is it the majority religion, but we also have the co- added complication that, you know, during the Civil War, you had Christianity split over the issue of slavery. Mm-hmm. And so in the South, you know, the you had preachers, you had the Southern Baptist Church was founded on slavery and actually preaching the doctrine of slavery. And that is still, I think, really damaging in a lot of ways to how racism and, you know, all the other isms are hurting the Christian church and the people that are within it um, and distorting everyone's humanity. And it's absolutely necessary for us to recognize this in the 21st century in Trump's America. Oh, Trump's America. You don't get our America, Trump. Like, (laughs) you know what? Trump does get our America, but it's just that our America is so siloed and deaf to each other. And that's the scariest part. Absolutely. 
we can't even mm-hmm. talk. To, you know, I'm just going to get off that soapbox, but no, but no, but it's a good soapbox. I mean, like, I think your, your point is super valid that we've got to be not in our own little like silos. We've got to be listening to other people and, yeah. and engaging in these narratives. And as a progressive Christian feminist, I believe God stands with the oppressed. Um, humans are always, as Paul says in the new Testament, looking through a glass darkly. And so it is tempting to place our bias on to God, but that does not mesh with time and time again, God's story of liberation in the old Testament and Jesus' preference for women, the poor and the sick and the marginalized in the new Testament and women being named as church leaders along with statements of egalitarianism between rich and poor and women and men and slave and slaves and free people. And if a woman stands on another woman to get power, she's ignoring in my own humble opinion, the foundations of biblical theology, which are rooted in liberation, freedom, and love. Um, so we have to support and love one another and not see one another as an opportunity for profit or power. I mean, yeah, I love that. But I mean, like, I like, I hear you. And, and you're right that like those narratives of God being for, you know, leading people out of slavery and Jesus being for the poor and oppressed and the Beatitudes and lifting women up and all these kinds of things. Like those are all like truthful narratives that we see in the Bible, but those are also alongside very problematic narratives. And, and it's hard to like, I don't know how to pick and choose or which ones to, I guess, um, I don't know how to reconcile the two. I guess I'm wondering where do we go from here? Like how do we as women right now resist falling into this bucket? How do we resist Trump's America? How do we show kindness and compassion? Oh, yeah. I, and I think part of that is listening to the narratives of other women and lifting them up. Like we have to care about more than just what is in our own purview. So because I identify as a minister and a feminist, you know, I think those things are very much intersecting for me. So I have to listen to all women's voices. And if there is a concern that black women or undocumented women um, or Hispanic women um, have, then I need to listen to that and then also lift that up and say, oh yeah, there's this other thing because women's rights are human rights and they're anything that those narratives lift up are going to better all of us. I, I think more than anything, we just have to listen, right? We just have to listen. And I think that, you know, you asked a very important question early on, which was, is Hagar's voice the first, how did you put it? You said, is it the first? No, is it the, is she the first voiceless woman? The first voiceless woman in the Bible. And that question is a haunting, important question that is probably going to weigh on me the rest of the week. I think that's a really great question, Sarah. Who, who can we empower? Yeah. And who, who can we love? Who can we empower? How can we be not Sarah? How can I as a Sarah be a not Sarah? <laughs> <laughs> How can how can you as Sarah without an H not be Sarah with an H? Asking the real questions. We're how asking I, the tough questions. How, how can I be the not me? <laughs> I, I think Sarah without an H. Um, by, by the by, the fact that you were asking that question, you are not Sarah with an H, which is. I think we avoid a lot of those issues whenever we start asking questions and listening to other people. So I know that you said that you were kind of struggling with this as how do you parse this out? Um, For you, have you felt, have you had a sense of kind of as an agnostic kind of walking away from the confines of church? Have you felt a sense of like freedom from walking away from that narrative? Yeah, I think so. 
It definitely, I mean, you and I grew up in very similar, but at the same Mm -hmm. time, kind of like different households. And it really took me having to make that break with Mm -hmm. everything that I was taught when I was a kid and even risking my relationships with my family to really come into my own sense of self, I guess. And that's something that I still don't even fully know. I'm still in a process of discovering my self-identity. But it's crazy in that it's like freeing to not have those stories of the, of, of the silent woman. Because all of these women, even when they're speaking, they get contextualized in so many churches. I think they get contextualized as being secondary and therefore their voice is an echo. It's mm. a whisper. And it's really freeing to me to like not have that thought in my ma- mind that it's like my voice actually might be worth something. I'm not just a vehicle. I love that. And I also like super affirm that for you. Like, I think we all have a role to play in bettering our worlds and each other. And I think those outside the church can help check its power and privilege. And for you being able to have that sense of self-identity and freedom from those narratives can really kind of call truth to power in that way, which is super powerful. And those of us that are trying to reform from inside the church can listen to those valid critiques in the service of loving and powering our neighbors, as I believe we're supposed to do, and kind of work in tandem with um, making sure that we're all, you know, we're, we're all in it. Like, yeah. you know, like regardless of religion or no religion, like we're all in, we're all on this planet together and we're, yeah. we've got to figure out how to live together and love one another. And I think that there can be an, like, uh, like I'm going to say this and own that it is, um, but as someone inside the church that it can be a, a selfish request or a selfish aim. But I, I personally love the fact that there are people outside of the church that are calling truth to power. That's being checked, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And vice versa. Like it gives me a lot of hope for the future of the Protestant church that there are people like you inside of it, reforming it. Keep on keeping on Sarah. That's right. Okay. So this seems like a good spot to put a pin in it. So let's do some shout outs. If you were listening to us and you have no idea how you were listening to us, like, ah, what am I doing? Um, You can find us and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Um, You can also find us on Twitter at Bible Bitches. Um, You can also like our Bible Bitches fan page on Facebook um, in order to like ask us questions or comment on any of our uh, stuff that we're putting out there. Um, we usually try to comment on our episodes um, or put some interesting content out there. So please uh, engage with us. We, you can also find us at, uh, you can email us at BibleBetches with an E at gmail.com. Gmail's, Gmail's got some issues with the bitches, and that's okay. They're just, they're just trying to be family friendly. That's all good. Um, so you can send us an email there, but probably uh, Twitter and Facebook are probably the best. Yeah. And of course, we want to give a big thanks to Engage Gaze for hosting our podcast. It's a great. With a Z. Oh, yeah. Sorry. It's Engage G A Z E, Engage Gaze. And great community, lots of good voices on there. And we're super glad that they are hosting us. Um, 
big super shout out to Miss Eves. You can find her on Twitter at Yo Eves, um, who is letting us use her song TNT for the intro and outro music. And of course, Aaron Smith, we love you. Thank you so much for doing all of our artwork. You can definitely find him at Aaron Doodles on Twitter. We love you, Aaron. All right. So um, we will catch you on the flip side on our next episode. Please message us if you have any requests for yeah. topics you'd like to hear. What are we doing next? What are we doing next? I think we are doing biblical weddings. Yeah, we are. Oh, oh that's because we're time. right. We're getting ready to go into the, a month with a lot of weddings. So let's break it down. Yeah. 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 Biblical weddings. Yeah. It's probably not going to be anything patriarchal, patriarchal about them, so we're good. Probably not. No, <laughs> not at all. Spoiler alert, it's all the patriarchy. <laughs> all right. Bye, you guys. Bye.